Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. May my hands be holy when I kneel in prayer. May my life be holy when I praise. Help me, Lord, respect the role you've given me. May I serve with honor all my days. May I serve with honor in the role you've given me. And may I never go beyond my place as I serve my Savior and give you praise. Help me follow the truth and I'll be saved. May my hands be holy when I kneel in prayer. May my life be holy when I praise. Help me, Lord, respect the role you've given me. May I serve with honor all my days. In Isaiah 43, Isaiah is continuing on what he was talking about in the previous chapter. See, in Isaiah 42, he was talking about the servant. And in Isaiah 43, now specifically, he's talking about Israel. He's talking about Jacob. But as we as Christians will read this, we see the ultimate fulfillment being taken place through Jesus Christ. Now, in Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 1, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And we see how this passage is, is of course, ultimately fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And he, he redeems this whole nation. Really, he redeems the whole world, doesn't he? But in Jesus, we see these promises not only fulfilled in him, but also handed down to us as well. The things that are stated to Jacob or Israel in verse 1 do not fear, I have redeemed you, I have summoned you by name, you are mine. Aren't those wonderful things to hold on to? Well, I can assure you that through Jesus, we can hold on to all of those things. We do not need to be afraid because the Lord has redeemed us. He has called us by name and we belong to him. We are his. This morning, I want to share with you a story that we see this all tying together, both in Jesus' life and in our lives as individuals. And that is in the story of the baptism of Jesus. In Luke chapter 3, we read this account of where Jesus himself decides to be baptized. And of course, there's going to be some things that relate with us and are similar to our own baptism. But there's also some things that are going to be different from our own baptism. And we'll point out some of these differences as we work our way through it. So let's take a look at this baptism of Jesus from Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 15, verses 15 through 18, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Now, this passage, we haven't quite got into Jesus' own baptism yet, but now we see that John, who was a faithful prophet, a faithful preparer for the way of the Lord, he was one who talked about the baptism that Jesus was going to bring. And he said that it's going to be different. Now, back in verse 15, we start to see that, that people were wondering around John's day, okay, is John possibly the Messiah? I mean, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. He's kind of doing some of the same things, isn't he? Well, he kind of was, but he wasn't. He wasn't doing the same things that the Messiah was going to be doing. And he himself says, I'm not the Messiah. You're looking for somebody else. Now, John said of his own baptism, of course, he said, well, I baptize you with water, but there's somebody else who's coming, somebody else who's going to be here. He is the Messiah. He's not going to baptize just with water, but he is going to baptize with something different. Verse 16 tells us that the baptism that Jesus Christ brings is one that is connected with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, some people have taken this passage and, and they believe that this is talking about the same baptism and we see the fulfillment in Acts chapter 2. Perhaps there's an element of that that is true because we definitely see when the Holy Spirit comes on the church, we see the tongues of fire coming and, and all these, these symbols combined together. However, I happen to believe in verse 17 tells us a little bit more about those baptisms and I think they're two different baptisms. I believe we see that, that we have a choice. Which baptism are we going to take? Are we going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit or are we going to be baptized by fire? We have the option. And the option comes down to whether or not we follow God, whether or not we accept Jesus as our Messiah, and if we choose to follow him. Because verse 17 talks about this winnowing fork, this judgment that is taking place. This judgment that is described as, as Jesus having this winnowing fork that's going to sift through and is going to separate the good things, the useful things from the bad things. And we see this image right here. He's going to clear his threshing floor, gather the wheat into his barn. That's the good stuff. That's the stuff that you eat going with this whole kind of farmer and, and agricultural um, uh, kind of analogy right here. That's the good stuff. That's what you really want to hold on to. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. What's that? that? That's the stuff that you don't use. That's the stuff that you don't eat. What good is that stuff for? Now, whenever we look at this, I believe we're seeing the same thing about the, the baptism that he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We see that some people will receive the Holy Spirit. They will be this good, this wheat that is brought into the barn. Some other people will receive this baptism of fire. And that will burn up the chaff. That will burn up the, the things that aren't good, the things that aren't useful. And, and another way of kind of looking at this is, you know, I make a, a separation in my own mind uh, between these, these two different things, the Holy Spirit and, and fire. Uh, but perhaps they're a little bit closer connected than, than what I make them out to be in my own mind. Because after all, God himself is described as a fire, right? Well, fire has kind of two different things that it does, doesn't it? On the one hand, it can purify. On the other hand, it can destroy. It can, it can burn up. So whenever we approach the holiness of God, is it so much different? I mean, if we choose to receive the Holy Spirit, then the holiness of God is going to be a great thing for us to take hold of and to be a part of and, and to be among. But if we don't receive the Holy Spirit then coming to the holiness of God, what is that going to do to us? Well, it's like a fire. And what will fire do? It will burn up this chaff with unquenchable fire. 
this passage is without a doubt talking about this judgment. And we see that there is this separation that is going to be taking place. And we see that John himself, he is proclaiming this good news to these people. He is starting at this passage, starting at where these people are, this, this place, starting at what he's saying. And, he's, and he goes on in even more details about this good news that is coming to them. And then something kind of pretty special happens among this preaching and among this time that John is out in the wilderness proclaiming and preparing the way for the Lord. Jesus himself comes to be baptized. What would you do if God's son came to you to be baptized? Well, this is what John does. Luke 3, 21 and 22. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, there's so many reasons as to why I love this passage. One, of course, is we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three in this one snapshot of history. Because, of course, the Father is the one who speaks from heaven. That voice says, you are my Son. Okay, this is God, the Father. Now, we see he calls him the Son, so we have the Father, the Son. That's Jesus. Jesus was just baptized. And we also see in verse 22 that the Holy Spirit is there. I guess technically they all kind of appear in verse 22, don't they? We see the Holy Spirit, he comes in this form of the dove. All three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are coming together in this baptism. I believe they also come together in our own baptism too. That's why whenever we baptize somebody, we baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And likewise, we can also, though not with our ears, we can hear God say that he loves us and he is well pleased whenever we make that decision to be baptized as well. But now I also wanted to draw your attention to a few things about this baptism that is taking place. Some things that we might actually overlook about. Because we see with Jesus that this baptism is taking place. And another thing that we notice is there is, uh, there is this mention about belief and this acceptance of this gospel message. That's what verse 21 is all about. These people were coming. They were being baptized. Why were they being baptized? Because they were believing in this message. We also see something else from verse 21 that we often will overlook, and that is prayer. Did you notice that? I mean, look at that in verse 22. It says that Jesus was baptized too, and as he was praying. Did you notice that? I think we oftentimes just skip over that little phrase. Perhaps we even skip over that act whenever we see or take part in baptisms today. That's one thing that I love to do is after, uh, specifically, you know, me, after I baptize somebody, I love having some type of a prayer circle afterwards. Now, you know, usually, of course, the person who just got baptized, they change into some dry clothes and get ready. And then everybody kind of circles around that person and we all gather together and we pray at that moment. We see in this passage that at Jesus' baptism, there was praying that, that, that was praying. There was praying that was combined with this. There's prayer at the center of everything that Jesus is doing. And there needs to be prayer at the center of what we are doing as well. So we see belief and acceptance. We see prayer. And we see in verse 22, the Holy Spirit. Now, these are three things that we see that I believe is actually kind of a type of pattern that we are going to witness in other places in the Bible as well. For example, 
in Acts chapter 8, we see one of these occasions that the gospel message is starting to spread, very similar to how it was spreading in the days of John. We see that John was proclaiming this message. People were accepting it. But notice what happens right here. This gospel message has gone out of Jerusalem, and it's gone into the area of Samaria. In Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, this is what we read. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, this passage, I believe, is going to kind of have those same type of patterns that we saw with Jesus himself at his own baptism. And I want you to think back to your own baptism, if you have been baptized. Now, if you haven't been baptized, I would simply just ask you to consider, why have you not been baptized? When we look at this passage, this is just kind of part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is that you accept or you submit to baptism. And being baptized... It means, of course, for us as Christians, that we are kind of taking part and reenacting the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus and saying that we have given our lives to Jesus. We are going to submit to him in all that we do. Well, that's what the apostles had heard had happened in Samaria. They accepted this word of God, and because of that, okay, these, uh, these apostles were sent to them. Specifically, we see that Peter and John were sent to them. And then in verse 15, we see that they're praying for these new believers. We also see in verse 16, uh, specifically, actually, I guess verse 17, that they received the Holy Spirit. Those three same things, this pattern that we see, we see it here as well. And perhaps you saw that same pattern whenever you were baptized. And if not, perhaps we need to be thinking about this and considering Okay, have we done what is pleasing to God? Have we accepted this word of God? Have we, have we uh, truly believed? Have we been baptized? Have we also been praying about it? And have we received the Holy Spirit? Have we been receptive to what the Holy Spirit is doing in our midst? See, sometimes, you know, we can easily just say that we don't want to have too much to do with the Holy Spirit because it might be kind of a little scary. I mean, he's a spirit. We're not exactly a spirit. So, what does he have to do with us and, and how does that work? But I can assure you when you read in the book of Acts and you see what the Holy Spirit does, he, he is this power that is in the church and working in the church. And I believe the Holy Spirit, he is still among us today. And we need to be accepting of his role and what he does throughout the world, even in our day. So now I want you to kind of think about these two passages right here and see this pattern with me. I've already pointed it out in each individual passage, but now let's look at it together. We see in Act, on the one hand, I've got Acts 8. On the other hand, I've got Luke 3. Notice the pattern. Now, both of these passages are connected with baptism. And in connection with this baptism, we see this. The first thing that we see in Luke, we see that they were being baptized. They are accepting this message. They are believing this word of God. That's what's happening in Acts 8. In Acts 8, well, the apostles, they heard, okay, people are accepting the word of God. That is, that is part of what it means to be a follower of God, is accepting his word, following his word, and obeying his word. That's what people in both of these passages were doing, of course. 
So we see it starts with belief. We see it starts with acceptance, and then it moves on. I've noticed that it moves on to prayer. Praying and prayer needs to be at the center of what we always do. It was at the center of what Jesus did. It was at the center of the early church. It needs to be the center of what the church is doing, even in our day as well. And let's not forget the final part of this, the, the final pattern that we see. And that is the Holy Spirit coming. The Holy Spirit came in both of these passages. The Holy Spirit continues to come and move and do great things among those who are willing to receive him, to accept him, to live with him and allow him to live within us. This is a pattern we see that Luke gives us in these two different passages, in Luke 3 and then again in Acts 8. We saw it with Jesus. We see it in the early church, and I hope that we still see it today. Now, I have mentioned there's a little difference in the baptism that Jesus uh, went through in our own baptism. And, you know, baptism is connected with, with washing and purification and all. And as you read in the Old Testament even, and of course in the New Testament as well, purification and, you know, going through uh, the, those, uh, those processes kind of like that, it wasn't always just because of something bad you had done in the past. Sometimes it was to prepare you for something great in the future. That's one thing that's a little different with our baptism in Jesus. Because in Jesus' baptism, he had done nothing wrong in the past. He didn't need any cleansing, any forgiveness of sins. We do, though. That's something that baptism does for us. It allows us to, to receive that, well, that washing, that cleansing of our sins. With Jesus, of course, it was just a washing, a cleansing, a, a preparing for what he was about to do. Now, that also compares to us, though. Because as we are baptized... That means that, that we are being prepared to be the people of God. Can we continue to be the people of God? Now, that's something that's going to, to keep us busy for the rest of our lives. It's something that is still going to need to be passed down to the next generation. It's going to be needing, uh, it's going to, need it to be passed down to people around us, too. It's part of this gospel message. We need to believe this message. We need to accept this message. We need to pray about this. We need to let the Holy Spirit do great things in our midst as well. Jesus showed us by this perfect example of how to submit to our Heavenly Father. Can we submit to our Heavenly Father just like Jesus has showed us to do? When such a gift came down to me when all around was lost. He changed my life, he made me whole, he paid my bitter cost. The last command my Savior gave, just before he had to part. The great commission starts in the heart. Though I'm unworthy of his love, he's placed within my hands. A treasure of unbounded Although I 
The great 